Welcome to Lompoc Foursquare Church's podcast. Enjoy the message. You know, Pastor John did a masterful job last week of giving us a a 15,000-foot view of the book of Nehemiah. You said yes. You could say thank you. That That was great. And God is still writing stories. That's what he does. Uh, It is to be done in earth as it is in heaven. And some of you may remember this phrase from many years ago, God has an upper story that he's writing into the lower story down here, uh, heaven and earth. It was some time ago I heard the story about a young man. Today he's in his mid-30s. He was born in Nicaragua. And his mother did not want him. He was the 19th child to come into their family. The father was extremely abusive and alcoholic. And the mother hid her pregnancy from him the entire time. And then when she was about to give birth, she walked out about a mile from her village and went to an outhouse and gave birth to her son, cut the umbilical cord and dropped him down the hole of the outhouse. Fortunately for the boy, some pranksters earlier that day had taken a board and wedged it in a few feet below the top of the outhouse. So rather than falling to the bottom among all the things that you would find in the bottom of an outhouse, His little body lodged on this board next to the end of the opening. And later that day, some other boys had come by to play at the outhouse of all places. And they heard the cries of the little boy. And they reached down and grabbed him and put him in a blanket and got on their bicycles and went to the nearest hospital to where they said, we found this newborn baby. Well, the baby, fortunately, was nursed to health and to life. I fast forward a little bit to where a family in Nicaragua had adopted the little boy and later on moved to Los Angeles and became a part of the Angeles Temple, which is our mother's four-square church, our mothership in Echo Park, became a part of the Spanish congregation at Angeles Temple. This little boy had gone to kids' church, much like Kids United today, where they're learning about their fears being crushed. I think this is a phenomenal thing. I'm no longer a slave to fear, and our kids are learning that very thing at 1045 today. And this little boy gave his life to Jesus in one of those kids' churches. Well, the story gets better. As the little boy grows, he becomes a teenager, and he has a heart and a passion to someday go back to Nicaragua to find his parents. And I fast forward the story because that's exactly what he does. And he reconciles with his mother and father who don't even know he exists. But part of his mission was not just to go reconcile with them. Part of his mission was to buy the very land where the outhouse laid back in the day and turn it into a center for women in crisis pregnancies and a center for adoption for those children that were unwanted. So he finds the owner of the property. It gets better. 
<laughs> he finds the owner of the property who happens to be the nurse who nursed him back to life when the little boys found him in the outhouse. And he says, I want to buy your property. And she says, it's not for sale, but I will give it to you for free. Uh, that man today serves our Foursquare denomination, and his story reminds me of Nehemiah, where God doesn't give up on the people or the places that he loves. And God is not going to give up on any of you. I have a lot to share this morning and not all the time that I need, but I do want to tell you, if you don't hear me say anything else today, please hear this. The God of the universe, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who is the Father of Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, the God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit has not given up on you. He's not given up on our community. He's not given up on our country. He's not given up on our world. He's not given up on the body of Christ. Instead, he commissions people to join him in his work of renewal and restoration and rebuilding. God never gives up on us. He's writing your story. Now, you may be on page four. He's already in chapter nine. You may be stuck on a page and you can't get out of that page. You keep reading the page over and over. It becomes your personal prognosis, your personal diagnosis. This is who I am. I'll always be this way. But, but God's writing a story that's greater than today, that's greater than this, that's greater than, than now. And I know some of you are going, man, if you knew the page I was on, Pastor B, you'd have some sympathy and empathy for me, and I do. But I'm just here to tell you that God has greater stories. Your story may not be as profound as the story of the young man in Nicaragua, but God is still building something in you and wanting to build something through you. Nehemiah is a story of revival and restoration, and it starts where all revivals start, where all restorations start, with an honest dose of reality. This is where we are. And maybe you've seen this before. You are here. It's pretty great if you know where here is. <laughs> Or if you want to be philosophical, wherever you are, there you'll be. But then again, maybe not. A lot of us have a tendency of not wanting to be present in the present. We want to be somewhere else. But you, you are here. And in Nehemiah's story, there's a dose of reality. What is here like? See, we can't get better until we confess our reality to the Lord. When I am weak, then, then he makes me strong, right? When I'm poor, then he makes me rich. When I'm, when I'm in my sin, he's the one that forgives. And so for us to be real about where we are and who we are, and I think we've had so much happen to us in the last couple of years, especially that it's, well, it's easy to deny our reality. But Nehemiah doesn't deny the reality that's brought to him. I turn your attention to the book of Nehemiah. If you can find it, great. If you can, it's on the screen. Uh, somebody told me once, I don't know the books of the Bible by order, and so I'm really glad I have these little tabs on my Bible, and someone else says, well, I have this little number thing, and somebody else says, I just Google Nehemiah chapter one, and it appears. It's so great, isn't it? Yeah. 
Well, let me read to you from Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 1 to 4, and I'll throw in verse 11 in there, the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah, in the month of Kislev, the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of the brothers, one of my brothers, came from Judah with other men. I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. See, he questioned them because he had a concern about other people. He wanted to know about his people. He's serving in another state. He's serving the, the, the king in the palace place, but it's not really his homeland. He wants to know what's happened to his people. There's a great concern in his heart. But here's what they said. Those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great, what? Trouble and, and disgrace. Just a question. Just a question. Do you know anybody in trouble? Do you know anybody, anybody who's in disgrace right now? Do you know anybody with, well, a modern word would be egg on their face right now. Do you know anybody that is embarrassed about their life or anyone who's fallen spiritually, emotionally, and can't get up? Jerusalem's broken down. Just, just hear that. And its gates have been burned with fire. And when I heard these things, Nehemiah says, I sat down and I wept. And for some days I mourned and I fasted and I prayed before the God of heaven. I was a cupbearer to the king. I prayed before the God of heaven, not just because a disaster had come. I prayed before the God of heaven because I'm a man of prayer. He was already a person of prayer before the problem hit. By the way, let me just encourage you, if you're, if you're doing okay right now, if you're on a level playing field, or you're living on the mountaintop, would you pray extra these days? Because I prophesy to you, someday you're going to hit your little valley, because you can't stay on a mountain forever, and between every two mountaintops is a valley, last time I checked. And so if you're a person of prayer, that when something hits the fan, or stuff comes up, or there's difficulty, you know exactly where to go. You go to the God of heaven. Now, this book uh, begins with an unusual man with an unusual job. According to uh, salaries.com, he had a really good salary, important benefits. He worked for the state, but not his home state. His job is like a bodyguard for the king, the cupbearer. In other words, he would drink the wine first, and the king would watch to see if he died, because people in that day tried to poison the king and the rulers. He would eat the spare rib first, the beef rib second. He would, he would eat the, 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 the lomi lomi salmon, or he would eat the uh, pork adobo. He would eat it first to see, if I didn't hit your, your food genre, I'm sorry, lasagna, carne asada, arroz con pollo, you know, prosciutto, formaggio, pezzo di burro. Anyway, whatever it is that, that the king would eat, Nehemiah would eat it first to see if he was going to survive. Isn't that cool? Your job is the poison specialist. And since we have no laboratory, you are it. And his brother comes to him with some really bad, bad news. And isn't it amazing that the news comes to a man who's in the palace place, who has a pretty high position. And, and, and my takeaway from that is God always strategically places his people in order for his people to do his work. And what is his work? To restore, to rebuild, and to renew. You might want to know the name Nehemiah means comforter. I thought that was incredible. 
because this is not who God is. He's the, the comforter. Around 25 years before Nehemiah came to Jerusalem, another Hebrew in Persia was faced with the challenge of making a difference in God's people. And Mordecai gave a charge to a servant by the name of Esther, and you'll all know this verse, no doubt, Esther 4, 14. Maybe God raised you to this position for such a time as this. I wonder if we could ask this question, has God put us in places for such a time as this? Did God allow us to be a part of that service club so we could meet people, so we could help people in their time of need? Did God allow us to be a part of that company or corporation or that school or that neighborhood? You thought God moved you just to a place so you could have a different place, but he moved you to a place so you could encounter the people in that place, so you could make a difference among those people. And as you look back at your life, you go, wow, now I get it, but at the time you don't get it. See, God has a plan, and you're it. Good morning. God has a plan, and you're it. So, so he doesn't know I'm going to call him up here, but Matt, I want you to come up here and help me this morning. <laughs> Colleen, his wife, looks at him and says, oh, I wonder what you're in for now. But, so if you know Matt, you'll know that Matt is a designer and a builder, and that's all I'm going to say about that. But Matt, I need you to sit down on this stool right here. Because I'm going to give you a haircut. No, I'm kidding. I'm (laughs) kidding. Look how simple this is. It's a box of, well, cheap version of Legos. But the reason we have these is they're bigger than little Legos. And Matt, all I want you to do is, you don't have to sing or anything. (laughs) I would just like you to to build a wall. Use your imagination. Uh, By the way, they all fit together. But there's some that are, you, you, you know, what am I telling you about? You know, these even have, this one has apples on it. I don't know why, but feel free, knock yourself out. He's going to do that as quietly as possible, and I'm going to keep talking. (laughs) Without going into any deep detail here, and this might be a a cheap or cheesy version of an illustration, but the wall's been torn down. There are pieces and fragments. And what Matt is able to do now with his engineering and creative prowess He's able to build a wall, and he can do it however he wants to do it. But much like I've called Matt to come and assist me, God's calling you to come and assist people in their brokenness of their life. I just want you to see that, because all these pieces were in that little basket, but now Matt is going to work. And God wants to use you. See, at the center of any great move of God is a person or a people who know their God, who know their reality, and know the power of prayer. This is Nehemiah's summary. Jerusalem is torn down. It's a disgrace. People are in trouble. And at the center of any great move of God, you can study any revival in our land. You can go back and study the revivals under Moody or under Charles Spurgeon, or you can go back and study the the revivals in our day of Billy Graham and continuing on with Greg Laurie and Harvest Crusades and some 14,000 people who recently in Orange County gave their life to Jesus in a baseball stadium. Go figure, right? But God wants to use you. One person at a time, one piece at a time, and you may never be Well, you may never be a Billy Graham, and that's fine with me. And you may never be a Greg Laurie, and you may never be a Moody, and you may never be a a Pastor John McIntosh. 
but you're you. And God uses you uniquely the way you are to reach people who are just like you. And some of you have no sense of humor. And there are other people who are dull and dry too. And God's going to use you to reach them. And some of you are as funny as anything. You know, you, you could be on a late night TV show and people would pay to watch you. You're funny. And there's other funny, hilarious people just like you. And there's some people who are Epicureans and you can fit right in with them. And some of you are athletic and there's people like you. And some of you, well, you just like to sit down and not do much. And there's other people who like to sit down and not do much. But God's connected you with people around you who need desperately to have the walls in their life rebuilt. Now, there's something I want you to know. There's something that's very important. Whenever you see a broken person or broken walls, sometimes we say, I can't believe it. Look at their life. Look how broken they are. Or a man walks out on his wife or his wife walks out on her husband. Or people walk out on your relationship and your friendship and somebody, can you believe they walked out? They just walked out. No, they didn't just walk out. They walked out months or years before. Their heart disconnected from the need. Their heart disconnected from the emotional response and a relationship. People got angry and upset and they were offended for a long time and they got hurt and their walls are broken down. And sometimes what they need is first of all, somebody to pray for them. And second of all, someone just to listen to their story and then have someone like Matt enter their life. Wow, look at what he's doing here. Yeah, yeah. But one thing we, we, no, there's more. Keep, keep, keep going, man. <laughs> See, the wall needs a return here, here, over here, and over here. There's a foyer. And then, anyway, I'm sorry. I'm giving you what I'm seeing, right? The crux of the matter for Israel, the crux of the matter was that they had over 93 years to rebuild their wall. And they let their current situation and circumstance grow and fester. They were in disgrace and trouble. Catch this, for 93 years. It's like you maybe have a squeaky door at your house. It's been squeaking so long, you forgot it's squeaky. But if I came over your house, I would hear it just like that. Because squeak is the pitch I can still hear after all these years of drumming. Sometimes we get used to our pain the way it is, and we just say that's just how it's always going to be. But if you study Israel, you will find out the reason their walls were really torn down was not because they failed in battle or they had a weak economy. It's because they had sin in their hearts towards God. It is not the sin itself that destroys us, but unconfessed sin and returning back to the same sins over and over and over again. See, a praying man, also a woman, will stop sinning and a sinning man or woman will stop praying. You can't be close to God and the Holy Spirit, and do unholy things. Eventually, the conviction of your soul will come out. So, while Matt's still building the wall here <clears throat> and wondering when he'll be done, I have a couple questions for you. What is, what is broken? What is broken? And what breaks your heart? Now, you can answer that either for yourself or for your family or for your friends or for the neighborhood you live in, the county that we all share, Santa Barbara. You could ask it for Vandenberg Space Force Base. You could say, open the eyes of my heart, Lord, not just to see you, but we want to, 
in his wonder and his amazement, but we also want him to open our eyes and our ears to hear his calling to us, to the needs around us. Someone had said to me recently, I'm, I'm overwhelmed by all the world's events and the events of our, of our community. I, I just can't hear anymore. I've grown callous towards the needs of others because I've got my own stuff and I feel like, my, well, I've had enough. Can I just ask you this question? Could we all pray that God would break our hearts with what breaks his heart? Can we all pray that God would move us again to be people that much like Nehemiah would rise up? We're going to talk more about it next week, but how he not only prayed, but then he got up and did something. Nothing wrong with praying, but we can pray a lot. I found this. I've been on committees and commissions in the past, and I always have this phrase, after all is said and done, there's more said than done. You can use that. You sit around and you plan and you make ideas and you, you sit with people and, yeah, we're, we're going to do this some, yeah, we're going to do this and it never gets done. After all said and done, more said than done. Could I ask you the question, are you allowing God to break your heart with people around you? Because I believe this, God wants to use you and use me like a Nehemiah rebuild the walls, to restore, rebuild. How are we doing? You having fun? Yeah, you get to play in church. All right, good. He's having fun. He's almost done. Well, while he's building this, this wall, I want to ask you to think about a couple of walls with me real quick. Walls that have fallen to the ground, some walls that are in disarray today. The, the first one would be historical walls. Uh, we have been through a recent season where I would say our nation has been in crisis. We've allowed walls to push us apart, political walls, foundational walls, historical walls. Some people have tried to rewrite our history, have they not? I I had a rough day. I have to tell you, I had to confess, I had a rough day when they said we're getting rid of all the Dr. Seuss books. I had a rough day. And I talked to three people who don't want to be called African-American. They want to be called black. So I talked to three people who said to me it was the dumbest thing when they took Aunt Jemima off the pancake box. She never offended us in the least, and we're black. And by the way, the most people that wanted her off the box were white. But anyway, they took her off the box. They've renamed Aunt Jemima Pancakes. And I understand wherever you stand on all of the history and let's change stuff, I know we have some historical issues. And some of our history doesn't need to be revised. It just needs to not ever be repeated. That was really good, but I said it. <clears throat> Secondly, relational walls. We have broken families today. We do. We still have racial tensions. I'll be the first one to admit that. We have division. We have some people that are emotionally isolated from God and other people. We have some people who don't want anything to do with any relationships. We have relational issues. Then we have these moral walls, moral walls. When I tell, share the story with you about the young man in Nicaragua, I just thought, man, his, his mom was playing God in that moment, was she not? Are, are we not in some areas of our country trying to play God when it comes to the unborn or the elderly? I, I believe that. Um, issues of abortion and drugs and violence. And don't you want to grab a bunch of young people and tell them, listen, violence is not the way to live? 
feelings over truth. It doesn't matter what's true anymore. It matters what I feel like, self-centeredness, lawlessness. By the way, the Bible says in the end times, people won't have any respect for the law. Just thought I would throw that out. And then what about Christian walls? Do we have walls? Christians who have lost their sense of purpose and churches, rather than being at the center of the community, are now on the fringe somewhere. And as one pastor not far from here told me, our church has lost its mission. We're trying to revive it. Why does God have us here? Why did God save you? Why does God have you as a part of this church? How are we doing? You want to do some more? Keep going. Keep going, he says. All right, good. Good. There's no prize at the end. By the way, nothing, nothing will pop out of here, you know. So let's go to Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. Those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. Let those words hit you because they really hit Nehemiah. Now, now by the way, before we, we get too deep into Nehemiah, Nehemiah was not a contractor. He had no degrees in, in concrete, in mason work. He didn't know about rebar and bond beam. He didn't know any things that, that what was the consistency of mortar? He had no clue about this. And he'd never led a construction project before. Isn't that cool? That God picks sometimes the most unlikely candidates. So if you say, well, that's great, Pastor B. I'm supposed to serve the community. I'm supposed to serve my church. I'm supposed to serve my neighbors. I'm supposed to let my light shine before men. They would see my good works and glorify God in heaven. But you got the wrong person here because I'm not certified in. Nehemiah wasn't certified in rebuilding walls and gates. But God's calling was God's enabling, and God made him to be one of the greatest leaders of all time. And I can't tell you how many books have been written and seminars have taken place in looking at leadership lessons from the life of Nehemiah. You can Google it later, and you'll be surprised. It's everywhere. Nehemiah was touched. He was burdened, is the old word. When I heard these things, I sat down and I wept, and for some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And over 12 times in the book of Nehemiah, it tells us that he prayed. So let me give you this phrase. Do not initiate what you do not saturate in prayer. Do not initiate what you do not saturate in prayer. Don't you dare start something. Don't you dare buy anything. Don't you dare change your job. Don't you dare change your location if you don't first saturate it in prayer. I mean, just, just saturate it in prayer. God, show me your will and your way. You see, a spirit-filled person is compassionate, and a compassionate person does more than pray, but they do nothing until they've prayed. So here's a defining moment. When the need to act outweighs the comfort of inactivity. That's a defining moment. When the need to act outweighs the, the, the comfort of inactivity. When the comfortable says, nope, I'm going to stand up and I'm going to be courageous. I'm going to do something I've never done before. I'm going to reach out and make a difference. So real quick, Nehemiah's heart cry. God is adoration, confession, and request. We're going to look at his prayer a little bit more next week. But he prays in Nehemiah 1 against 5 to 11. I think it bears repeating, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God. This is his adoration. He starts with, well, like Jesus did, 
Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. It's, it, it's an adoration that comes even before the confession. Awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. His prayer was an intercessory prayer. It wasn't just about himself. It was about the people of Israel that he loved and cared for. Here we go. Look at this. Now, this illustration is simple. I called on Matt. Matt came forward. He came to church today, not expecting he'd be up on the platform or building with blocks. But he's going to be thinking about this for weeks. And I'll probably get a text later, thanks for having me serve, but don't call me again for building blocks on the wall. Now, do you see the illustration? This would have never happened if Matt didn't come forward. Courageous Matt. This would have never happened if he didn't have the skills inside of him to do this. And even if you don't have skills, God will use you. I am getting so excited. We were here yesterday having a work day, and if you were here, thank you so much for helping us. We were painting and preparing for the family fun block party, and I've been praying for it every morning and every night. It's been on my prayer list. Why? Because people are going to come from our community that desperately need to laugh, that desperately need to have a free party and experience God's joy lived out in front of us. And you know the other key is? I love it. Why? Because we're on the street. And what's our backdrop? The church. And what's the church? In the street, because we're the church. And we, we, we don't call C Street just a street. We commission that at every, every harvest block party. We commission it. Lord, this is your street tonight. This is your place. May you touch children. May you put smiles on their faces. Yesterday on our parking lot, there was a three-on-three basketball tournament that happened. Man, and the parents were all excited and, you know, just having a great time. So as they were finishing, I went over there and I was talking to Walter that was running it. And I was talking to two, two young ladies. And I said, yeah, we're going to have this area be a fun area on October 31st. And the one lady said, yeah, I brought my children here for 20 years to your party. And now my grandson's playing basketball here. I thought, that's cool. And it was this other gal. She was kind of scrunched down in her chair, and she was on her cell phone. She wasn't interested in some old guy talking to her. She didn't care much about what I had to say. And she looked up, and she goes, yeah, I used to come to that party. And I go, great, you're never too old. Come back. I'll give you some cotton candy. And she smiled. See, people think about a church that moves outside of its walls into its community. Now, what does that have to do with Nehemiah? Everything. Because he goes on to say this. We have acted very wickedly towards you. This is the confession. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying that if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations but if you return to me and obey my commands, then what? Then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to a place I've chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. When I'm reading this, 
I'm hearing the prayer of Nehemiah, and I'm saying, Lord, could this be our prayer? That we are your servants. We are your people whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. And whose mighty hand? The mighty hand of Jesus on the cross. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man, because he's going to go to the king and ask for resources and ask for help. Wouldn't it be great if we just prayed that same prayer? God, give us your strength by your mighty hand. Do in us what we can't do for ourselves. You see, he adored God and he spoke of God's greatness. And he makes this confession. Confession is identifying the sins of a community as if they were your own and confessing your own sins as well. I identify the sins of my community. I've never been in a gang and I've never shot a gun in anyone, but I've repented for those who do. I've prayed prayers as I pray over our police department and our community and our first responders. I've asked God as though I was the one doing the crime. Lord, would you forgive us? Would you forgive me? Would you forgive our community? Would you help us to build bridges to people, not, not, not build walls? You see, these walls are about protection and fortification, but the walls are also a symbol or a metaphor, if I can use that phrase, for the glory of God and the protection around us. Without the walls, without the gates, anyone could come in and take anything they wanted from the Israelites. Think about that. It'd be like you not having a front door on your house. Just come in, anybody, do what you want. Do what you want to us, do what you want with our stuff. But here, God uses Nehemiah to build the wall, and he goes for the crux of the matter. Nehemiah 1.7, we've acted very wickedly towards you. We've not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws that you gave to your servant Moses. That's why we have to be people that pursue righteousness in everything that we do. So I've given you kind of the overview for where we're at, and I want to close with application this morning. And we're going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Isn't that good? Would you thank Matt for coming down here? Thank you. Look at that. Now, it looks silly, but not really. It's good. He did a good job, don't you think? I think, look at fabulous. Here, turntable. Let me turn it for you. Look at Isn't that nice? Look, look at it. Look at it. How nice. Yeah, look, look. Look how nice. That's a car out front. Look. This is the car right here. Yeah. Oh, it's a hover. hover. Anyway, you and Jimmy build one of those, will you? That'd be great. Silly illustration. Yeah, I went to church. What'd you get out of it? Some guy came down the front, <laughs> did a little Duplos and, you know. But I think God wants us to understand that the application is, what must we do? Where, where's God attempting to break your heart? Where's he showing you a person, a group, where you say, God, constantly, I, I feel compassion and passion for that. You see, God will place that in your heart. Why? Well, so you can feel bad? No, partly. You could pray for sure. You could intercede for sure. You could confess the sins, sure, of you and them, sure. But then God wants us to, to do something about it, to go to that person, to, 
to offer help, to listen to their story, to care about their lives. And could it be much like Nehemiah? God is reminding us of this passage, and I want you to read it with me this morning, Second Chronicles 7.14. Let's read it with our best. He's almost done voice. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and I will, yeah. If my people, are, are, are you a, a people of God? Who's a people of God? A person of God, come on. Called by my name, which we are, will humble themselves. In other words, I don't have all the answers, Lord, but I humble myself and surrender to you and pray, Nehemiah, and seek my face, Nehemiah, and turn from their wicked ways. Nehemiah, who says, we have sinned against you, and so have I, God. He wasn't blaming. He wasn't judgmental. He was including himself in the fall of Israel. You know, Moses stood <laughs> on a mountain overlooking the promised land, and you can look it up in Deuteronomy chapter 8, and he basically challenged the people this way and said, don't repeat your failures. He showed them the promised land and said, this is where you could have been. This is what you could have had. Look at what you missed. I think God has a preferable future for every one of us. So what needs to be rebuilt in your life? What needs to be renewed? What needs to be restored? And can you define this? You are here. You're here. What does here look like? Where's God calling you to be? What's God calling you to do? What pieces of, of brokenness in other people is God calling you to come and help them rebuild? And maybe, it's, maybe it starts with you. I believe it does. God, would you let me be rebuilt by you? Would you forgive my sins? We're called to confession. And by the way, when you confess your sins, don't forget to confess the sins of your family, your friends, and your country. I said to somebody the other day, I said, I, I pray for my president every day. <gasps> that was a response. Well, the Bible says we're supposed to pray for those in authority over us. And I'm just going to tell you, I'm just going to tell you, they're, 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 they're a Christian, and they gasped. doesn't matter who you voted for. doesn't matter if you like the policies. It doesn't matter if you appreciate what the county has done or not done or the city has done or not done. God's using you and me as agents of change through prayer and through ministry. And it all starts with one thing. We give our lives to Christ. Whether we've already given our lives to Christ or not, we give our lives to Christ again afresh. Lord, I give you my life. And we sang the song, and we're going to sing it in just a moment. Build my life, Lord, and I will build my life upon your love. And in your love, would you lead me to those around us? Would you lead me to those who are broken pieces? Would you lead us to someone this week who desperately needs to know the love of Christ? And so, Lord, we pray right now, and we ask you to build our lives. We, we place them in your hands. 
Use us like Lego pieces, as it were, Lord. Use us to, to be built together, a spiritual house. A Peter told us, every one of us have gifts. We've been given those gifts already. May we use those gifts for you. And may God, we be able to allow you to fill us and to use us. Jesus, I pray for the sins well, of myself and for the sins of this church, the sins of these people, Lord, that together we come and confess those sins to you, but we confess them to a great God that we adore. Hallowed be your name. We pray for the sins of our city and of our county. We pray for the sins of Vandenberg. We pray for the sins of our world today. And we want to be those people who humble themselves and pray and those people who trust in you like never before. And first, we give you our lives. Jesus, I give you my life. Would you just say that? Jesus, I give you my life. Jesus, I give you my life. Jesus, I give you my life. And Jesus, I give you this church. And we give you this community. Use us to help build the walls, to restore others, to see them become all that you've called them to be. And lead us in your love, Lord, to those around us that need to know you and walk in your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Please visit us at mylfc.com for more information about our church. Thank you so much for listening.